Good morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers that are present. Good morning to you joining us online this morning. Hey, before I forget, I have just something special I want to share with our online viewers, those who participate on our online worship uh, live stream. I want to let you know that we um, offer some engagement in the comment section during our service. Um, and I just want to point out to you that Bo over here on the drums is, our, is a pastor here, and he uh, just faithfully engages on that comment section so that we can uh, provide you with what is hopefully a, a meaningful time of engagement so that, that uh, in your joining us online, you feel like you were at church and engaged with um, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we just hope uh, that you will take advantage of that, and we wanted to make sure you were aware of that opportunity to engage online. And any of you guys, uh, just be sure. I'm, I know it's different for each platform, um, but there usually is a comment section no matter where you're watching, Facebook, YouTube, church online. Uh, there's a comment section where you can engage, and we just like to be able to say hello to you and whatnot. So, well, good morning. Uh, glad that you are here with us. It is not favorable weather today for Mother's Day, I have to tell you. So I hope you didn't have any outdoor picnics planned, but we are so glad to be in the warm, dry house of the Lord together this morning. Amen. So let me share with you from Psalm 66, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4 as you prepare your hearts for worship this morning. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praise of your name. I hope that we can join together this morning in meaningful praise and worship. Before we begin, we do have a little bit of a special treat uh, for, for all of you guys for Mother's Day. We know, uh, ladies, that Mother's Day means something different for everyone. Uh, not everybody enters into this day joyfully and excited, and so we, we see you this morning, um, and we just love each and every one of you, so I hope you enjoy this short video. Um, as you remain in the attitude of worship this morning, um, I just want to invite you to continue to speak to the Lord, whatever it might be that's on your heart, and I just want to invite you to a time of prayer. Um, I don't often emphasize this, but I also feel like we're at this place in the church right now where we're trying to respect, um, you know, personal space and whatnot, but um, I just want to invite you. These altars are open. Uh, should you ever feel like you need to use them, uh, you should know that, that these are, are here for you if you just need that quiet space with the Lord, but um, let's just continue in this attitude of, of praise and worship and prayer as you continue to uh, bring yourselves before the Lord this morning. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, we come before you this morning, and we come before you with great love and adoration. And I thank you, Lord, for how you never fail to meet us right here in this space, right where we are. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that pursues us even when we build walls, we distance ourselves, Lord, you continue to come after us and you look for ways to reach us. So Lord, I just pray that as we still and quiet ourselves before you this morning, God, would you speak to us? Lord, would you just continue to speak to our hearts? 
Meet us right here where we are, Lord. God, some of us come before you this morning just in a joyful place, and, and we rejoice, and for, for many, life is, is good, and there are good things happening. We have a lot to celebrate during this season. Lord, we know that, that there are graduations, and there are weddings happening. There are these new phases of life that, that we celebrate, and we rejoice, and what a long way we've come from where we were this time last year, where we really couldn't celebrate these things in person together with our loved ones. And so, Lord, some of us are just rejoicing in this space that we're in now. And we celebrate with those who celebrate. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing today. But Lord, we recognize that not everyone is rejoicing today. Not everyone is in a joyful phase of life. I would say that there are many here this morning that feel like they're doing the very best they can to just get by. They're giving it all they've got to get through each and every day, Lord, by your grace that carries them through. And so, Lord, we sit with those who mourn today. We mourn with those who mourn. Maybe for some, it's just what this day in particular means for them. And so if they mourn, we mourn with them. Lord, we continue to remember those who have lost family, multiple family members in this season. Lord, we continue to grieve with them and recognize that, that those days, they come when we least expect it, when we are overcome with, with grief and sadness. We ask that you continue to be there with them, to comfort them. Give them a peace that only you can give, Lord. Lord, we remember those who are struggling with sickness and, and disease, frail, broken bodies that fail us. Lord, we stand beside them this morning. We lift them up to you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your healing touch would come upon them and that you would renew their strength for this day. Lord, I just pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would continue to speak to your people. Help us, Lord, to have an open heart. Help us, Lord, to hear from you what it is you would have us to hear. Lord, we ask that you continue to go with us as we journey together, as a faith community, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide us and direct us as we seek your will for this ministry in this place. Just continue to guide us and direct us, Lord. God, we love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for meeting us with more grace today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, if you would like to open up your Bibles uh, or the Bible app on your phone, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 28. 
Um, if you've been following along on this journey where we are uh, pausing to notice the appearances that Jesus makes to his followers after um, the resurrection, you will notice that we are nearing the end of this journey. Uh, we have this week and next week, and we will be finished with this series, and, and this week and next week will mark the end of those appearances that Jesus makes to his followers. And so today we are going to be at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and um, Jesus has some very specific words for his disciples in this passage. And so I would like to invite you to stand with me, if you are able to, uh, for the reading of the Word of God this morning. From Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you've been in the church for any period of time, you are familiar with this passage in some way, and you would recognize this passage as what we call the Great Commission. This is our commission. This is who we are as followers of Jesus, as Christians. This is our calling, what we are called to do. For many, this is our mission statement, if you will. I know specifically in, in the, the Church of the Nazarene, our faith tradition here at Belleville First Church of the Nazarene, this is who we are. We are people who recognize our call this lofty call to go into all the world, into all the nations, and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and to make disciples, make followers of Jesus. Show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so as we mentioned earlier, the disciples, they have had the, the amazing opportunity to see Jesus several times. He shows up to them. He surprises them each and every time. But it seems like, but this time, he kind of gives them a warning. He says, go to this place where I will meet you. And he comes to meet them there. And while this might feel like the end as we're reading the story, it feels like this is the end of a particular time when Jesus would show up in his full resurrected glory to the disciples. And that's kind of coming to an end. And we recognize that this is not the end. Just because Jesus is, is about to ascend into heaven to be with the Father, this is not the end. In fact, for the disciples, for, for the church, for the future of the church, this is actually just the beginning. This is a new stage as the disciples are called to listen, partner with God. Do we recognize that in this great commission that we know so well, many of us, that we've read hundreds of times, that in this commission, you and I, the disciples that were standing there before Jesus, they were called to partner with God on mission. Jesus was saying, I am calling you to be a part of this. This is no longer me, but I'm, I'm handing it over to you, but I will be with you. I will go before you. 
And so Jesus is, is giving them this direction. And in many ways, he is, as we think about the journey that Jesus had with the disciples, even before his, his death, we recognize that Jesus has spent three years, at least of ministry, modeling for them what it looks like. What it looks like to come alongside, to teach, to pray for, to instruct, to guide, to encourage. Jesus has, has modeled for them what it looks like to follow him. And now they can confidently go and do this with others in all the nations. And so here's how I want to do this this morning, because as always with these passages, there's so much here, and we could go in so many different directions, and we could spend, honestly, um, a week for almost each word in this commission. We're not going to do that, don't worry, and I'm not going to do that today either. I mean, it's not like you have anywhere better to go or anywhere to be, because it's disgusting weather, but I won't keep you here all day regardless. I'm tired too. I don't want to be here all day. But, but I, I kind of thought, let's quickly clarify some of the particulars that we might miss in this passage in the Great Commission, and then I've got a word for us, okay? I've got, I've got a word for us, and it's been in there for, for quite some time now, and the Lord even worked in it this week. It's amazing. But, so let me clarify some of these things that Jesus said, and then we'll get to the, the meat portion of the passage today. So Jesus says to them, he starts off with this, with this authority. He wants to remind him. I mean, come on, the resurrected Jesus stands before them, raised to life by the power and the spirit of God. The living Lord is standing before them. And he says, all authority has now been given to me. This authority is for all of us, by the way. <laughs> For all of us who call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves followers of Jesus. You and I are under this authority of King Jesus. He says, I have been given all authority. Therefore, this is what you ought to do. As my followers, as my people, this is what you ought to do. He says, therefore, go. But... Really, that translation is, is we would better understand the, the original language as, as you go, you may have heard this, in your going, or even we can understand it to say, having gone, therefore. And I think that is so important to clarify because Jesus is assuming that we are to go, that we are going to go. So it's not this question of, well, if you go or if you have time to go or if you just so happen to be in a phase of life where it's convenient for you to go or, oh, if you're called to be a missionary and you're called to go. But actually what he's saying is, as you go, as you live, as you follow me with all of yourself, as you are going, make disciples. So let's make sure we understand that, that there is no question here that we are to go because he assumes you're going to go. Where? Go where? We might ask that question. As we go where? Everywhere. Listen, everywhere you go. I was thinking about this this week, and, and it just starts simply. As you go home to your families, make disciples. And, and I know that, that this is not a lot of us in here, but some of us, for some of us watching online and for some of us here, we have small children at home. And we can't overlook the fact that these are our, our first priority these are the disciples that we ought to be pouring into first and foremost. And as a, as a mama in ministry, 
I got to remember that. I got to work extra hard to remember that, that I can't be so focused on making disciples with everyone else that I overlook the most important little disciples in my life. Make disciples in your home. As you go home, make disciples. If that's appropriate with your spouse, then, then do that there. I mean, it, it is, but if you find that that's where it needs to, to take place between you and your spouse, then do that there, but it should go beyond that as well. For grandparents, hey, make disciples. For your grandkids, pour into them. Have conversations with them about what it looks like to, to have Jesus in their heart because that's what they hear so often, right? Help them see what that looks like. As you go home, make disciples. As you go to school, look to make disciples. As you go to work, look around. Who needs to be discipled? Who, who doesn't know Jesus? Who can I pray for that they would come to know Jesus and then I would have the privilege to walk alongside them as they get to know Jesus? As you go to work, look to make disciples. As you walk the streets of your neighborhood, look to make disciples. Look at your neighbors as opportunities. Look at your neighbors and, and you'll find probably that a lot of them don't know Jesus or, or if they do know Jesus, they probably don't know him very well. And so look to make disciples as you walk the streets of your neighborhood. Look around this room. Make disciples in the church. I bet if you had conversations with people in this room, you would find that, that there might not be, we, we might assume that we're all being discipled, but I bet that wouldn't be the case if we were to ask. I bet if we were to ask, not everyone in this room is actually being discipled or discipling someone else. And so perhaps there are opportunities as you're going to church to make disciples. As you go to the store, as you go on play dates, as you go to the gym, wherever it is you go, make disciples. Look for opportunities to make disciples. Brings us to our next clarification. Jesus doesn't say, as you're going, make converts. As you're going, get people saved and then leave them. He actually doesn't use that language at all, right? He doesn't, we don't see any kind of salvation language in this particular moment. He says, as you go, make disciples. I like how Hal Perkins puts it. Hal Perkins says, not hell, not hell escapers, not heaven goers, not doctrine knowers or churchgoers. Jesus doesn't say these things. He says make disciples because guess what? There's a big difference. There is a big difference between someone who, who simply identifies as a Christian and someone who is actively um, conversing and, and going through life with someone that's helping them to see what it looks like to be a Christian. There's a big difference, so let's not miss that too. Make disciples. Also in there, I just thought of this too. Not be disciples, make disciples. There's action implied on our part at some point. And so how do we do this? We're getting to the meat of it here. Hang with me. How do we do this? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. There is no corner unturned, left un untouched. Go into all the nations. Here's how you're going to do it. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So baptism, that's an important part of who we are, right? Baptism 
If you've participated, take a moment. Remember your baptism. Remember the moment that you were immersed in the love and grace and forgiveness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and brought up. You're not down there that long, but then you're brought back up and you are a new creation. You are someone new. You are no longer that same person. Remember your baptism. Baptism is an important part of who we are. It is important to immerse ourselves physically in whatever way we do that in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So make disciples, baptizing them, and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We're getting there. Teaching them to obey This one, I think, is a little bit difficult for us because, again, the language is not teach them to obey the things you like, teach them to obey the portions of Scripture that you are particularly passionate about, teach them to obey the things that are culturally relevant, teach them to obey what all I have commanded you, not just the cherry-picked portions of Scripture that we like and cling to, but teach them everything, even the upside-down portions of Scripture that that look like Jesus just flipped everything on its head upside down. Talking Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount, teach them this stuff. Teach them what it looks like to be blessed according to the kingdom of God and not according to the ways of this world. Teach them what it looks like to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's kind of a big deal for us. Teach them what it looks like to be angry and how closely that's held with things like murder. We got a lot of angry Christians around here, right? Teach them about what Jesus says about relationships and commitments. Teach them about loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. Teach them about giving to those in need and how to do it and how not to do it. Teach them about prayer and how we are to pray. Teach them about fasting, about worry, about where your treasures in life are. Teach them about judging others, especially in light of of yourself. Teach them the hard stuff that that true disciples follow Jesus and that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. These are among the things we are to be teaching. Teach them all I have commanded you. And also, I had to add in there too, that we're not just teaching these things when they're heard in a sermon, Right? We're not just teaching these things when they're talked about in Sunday school, as appropriate and as great as these things are. We're not just teaching these things in even a small group Bible study of 12 people. One-on-one, teach them. Find out what they're hearing, because I could be preaching a message to all of you right now, and you're probably all hearing different things. Hopefully, you know, I mean, hopefully it's in a... That's not all over the place, but you're probably all receiving different things from this message. And so then we are to come alongside others and find out, hey, what did you get from that? What did you hear from that? What is the Lord challenging you to do as you've heard this? We are not to be, as, as John Wesley emphasized, just hearers. I mean, this is in scripture too, but John Wesley really emphasized this, that we are to go from the place of just hearing to doing and being and living And how do we know what people are hearing when they're being taught if we aren't coming alongside them and conversing with them and finding out what it is that they are being taught? What is it that they are hearing? What is it that they are doing? 
right? See, relational discipleship, that's what we're talking about here. And relational discipleship makes space to listen to what one is hearing from teaching from the Word of God. Relational discipleship makes space for accountability. We don't like accountability, do we? We don't. You can be honest. We don't like accountability. Relational discipleship makes space for actions that shape us into followers of Jesus and and how to be followers of Jesus. Relational discipleship makes space for questions. Can I just say that? That relational discipleship makes space for questions. All kinds of questions. Like, what do I do with this passage of scripture uh, in light of this situation? What do I do? I don't really understand how this fits into what I'm seeing in the world. Questions like, what is Jesus saying to you? How is Jesus calling you to live? How is Jesus, uh, how do you see Jesus at work in your life? Questions like these. These are what help us to, to actualize our faith, not just sit and be consumers and, and we hear it, but then we don't do anything with it, right? That's what relational discipleship is intended for. And this is what we're commanded to do. That is what we are commanded to do. And nowhere in scripture do we find that this is optional. I just want to point that out. Nowhere in scripture do we find that this is optional. And we as the church are not to just hope for converts and to hope that people will ask Jesus into their heart while this is absolutely important. We're not saying that this isn't important, but that's not all we are to hope for. We are to hope that they will be matured and that they will grow into devoted followers of Jesus that won't be tossed by the winds, that won't fall off the face of the earth, never to be heard from again. This is what it's about. This is what we are called to do. It's not a short-term mission. When you participate in this mission, you are in it for the long haul. You're signing up to be in it until Jesus comes back or until he calls you home. That's how long we are in this for. And so if this is the mission, I've kind of just given it to you in a nutshell. It's so, it's so much deeper than that. But in a nutshell, if this is the mission, if this is what you and I, not just me, Not just the board members, not just Sunday school teachers, not just small group leaders, but if this is what everyone in this room is called to do as a follower of Jesus, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are we doing this? Maybe that's the question we should ask first. Are we doing this? Because what I'm finding as I talk to people and as I listen to Um, people who are analyzing where the church is at. As I am, am talking to other people, I'm finding that we have, in a sense, at times, failed to fulfill this mission, this calling. And I think as a result of, of at times, missing the mark and, and, and dropping the ball, I think at times what we look around and we see are a bunch of cultural Christians who ask Jesus into their heart, maybe when they were young, And then they possibly haven't grown from that place in 10, 20, 30 years because no one came alongside them and walked with them in this journey and showed them what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. And I've got a perfect example for you. I couldn't make this up if I wanted to. This is not just some uh, sermon illustration that was fabricated for the point of the sermon because 
as I was wrestling with the sermon, here's what I was wrestling with this week, actually. I was wrestling with thinking, this sermon feels very surface level. It doesn't feel very deep. I'm not really wrestling with any theological concept, and therefore I feel like they're going to listen to the sermon and feel like that was very elementary. It's kind of how I was feeling. Until I happened to be scrolling on Instagram, and a young lady who I'm closely acquainted with, she lives across the country, but, but I know her a decent amount, and, and she is posting to her social media account these questions that she has. She is a Christian, she's a professing Christian, but I'm reading these questions that she's posting on social media, and I am profoundly concerned because she has some serious questions about her faith. She has some serious questions about Christianity. She has some serious questions about who God is. And after reaching out to her and engaging with her and trying to figure out where she's at and what went wrong, I've learned that this young lady has been a Christian for probably 20-ish years of her life, maybe 15 to 20 years. And not one time did someone say, there's a space for you to ask these questions. Not one time, it sounds like from what I'm gathering, and I kind of spelled this out, and she essentially said, yeah, that's, that's true. Not one time did someone come alongside her and say, hey, let me journey with you as you learn what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Instead, she got to the place that we try to get all people, ask Jesus into your heart, and then good luck. Good luck. I hope it goes well for you. Let me know if you have any problems, questions, concerns, prayer requests. And so what I'm finding is what John Wesley said to be true, and that is, he said, I am more and more convinced that the devil himself desires nothing more than this, that the people of God should be half awakened and then left to themselves to fall asleep again. Is it a possibility that we are not fulfilling what we've been called to do? Is it a possibility that we've dropped the ball on discipleship and walking, truly walking and journeying alongside people who follow Jesus, who say that they are Christians and want to follow Jesus? And if, if we are finding that this is true, that we are not really fulfilling this to the best of our ability, why? Why aren't we? Do we find that it's too costly? Because it is. It's costly. Do we find that it's too demanding and that there are other places in our life that are demanding more of us and we just have to pick and choose? Because it's demanding. Do we find that it's too time-consuming? Because it is. It's time-consuming. Do we find that discipleship, that true discipleship, walking with a baby Christian or, or a Christian in general as they journey along, that it's too messy and too difficult, and oftentimes we are the ones that get brokenhearted when they decide to walk away and, and stop and, and just, you know, walk away? I've really been wrestling with this this week. And I told you I was wrestling with the fact that this seems like such a simple elementary concept that we maybe shouldn't even be talking about, but at the same time, what I have found is that, yes, the concept is quite simple. The problem is we're not doing it. It's pretty simple to grasp. I think we all get the concept. The problem is, is that we are not doing it, and we haven't been doing it for some time, and now as we look around, we see the non-fruits from our non-efforts. 
We see people that are walking away from the church. People in my generation, because what happened when I was a kid was bring your kids to these programs. We've got all these great programs for your kids and your family. And that was attractional. At one time, people were attracted to that. And that worked. And it brought people in and churches were full. And families were were going to program after program after program. And kids were in program after program after program. But now when we look around, we see that that's not what people want anymore. I'm finding that people, especially in my generation, are looking for relationships. We don't need programs. We need relationships. I need someone to sit with me at the kitchen table as I wrestle with what it looks like to be a millennial Christian. I need someone to sit and have the hard conversations about what we are seeing in the world around us and what our role is. That's what I need. I need that much more than I need just another program. And so I think that what worked for a long time is no longer working, and and we got away with not really making disciples. And I'm not saying no one was doing it. I'm not saying that, that no one is doing it. I'm just saying it was really easy to not worry about that part of what we've been called to do and still see um, life in the church. And now what we're seeing is not a lot of life in the church, the global church. And I'm starting to figure out, I think, a little bit why that is. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But this is what we are called to do, church. Discipleship. Make disciples, walk with others, journey with others, show them what it looks like to follow Jesus, have the hard conversations, let them ask all the hard questions, give them a safe space to wrestle with what this looks like so that when the winds come, they're not just carried away, they don't just abandon it because they look around and they're like, is this real for anyone? Is anyone actually following Jesus? Because I think a lot of times we see that here's the church, here's what the word of God says, here's what, here's what Jesus says, and the two are not, they don't line up. I think people are becoming, they're aware of this, and we're seeing that it might be a problem. Discipleship, like anything else, is kind of a discipline if you think about it. It's a discipline. And spiritual disciplines are hard. We talk a lot about spiritual disciplines, but discipleship itself is a discipline. The two words are actually pretty closely connected if you look into it. And understanding it is not what's challenging, but doing it seems to be what's challenging. But I'm afraid that failing to do what Jesus calls all of us to do is going to continue to have grave consequences. And I think a great example of this is is to look at two famous Protestant preachers of the 18th century. And I'm almost done here. But two um, names that you've likely heard if you've been in the church for very long. You've likely heard of John Wesley. And of course, as Nazarenes, he's our theological forefather. Um, And you've likely heard of another man by the name of of George Whitfield. And these were two very well-known Uh, successful, fruitful Protestant preachers of the 18th century, and they were actually pretty close friends. And John Wesley was kind of known for his, his discipleship, among other things, and his methods, you know, Methodism, Methodist, that's where all that comes from. And, and George Whitfield was called the voice of Protestantism because he was known for his dynamic preaching. 
He was a great preacher. And this is what they were kind of known for throughout the Western world. And these two men were actually really good friends. They admired one another and the, and the, the contributions that they made to the church. But what ended up happening was, in the end of each person's life, at the end of John Wesley's life and at the end of George Whitfield's life, it was actually John Wesley's ministry that would go on to be remembered, and you would see the fruits of that for some time, whereas George Whitfield, his ministry kind of essentially died with him, because there was a lot of, of preaching and hearing, and so when he died, that ministry kind of died with him. But John Wesley trained people to follow Jesus. John Wesley spent time and, and came up with a very effective method of, of helping Christians follow Jesus and encourage one another and to be there for one another as they journeyed and, and walked together. And, and this is something we still see within the church today was, was this fruit from John Wesley's ministry. And that is because I think Wesley knew something that many people missed, and that is that isolated Christians are in danger because an isolated, unencouraged, and unfed faith produces weak and unfruitful disciples. I'm not saying what we're called to do is easy. What we're called to do is very difficult at times. There will be times where we see fruit and we rejoice but honestly, there will be a lot of times where we don't see that fruit, especially when we want to. And there will be times where we feel like this just doesn't work. Let's just give up. And yet Jesus expects all of us, all of us to be personally and faithfully cared for by a spiritual parent who is willing to do the hard work of showing up week after week, investing when it's hard. And we're called to do that for someone else and so on and so on and so on. It all began right here with Jesus' disciples. A bunch of, of young men who were just following Jesus and probably thought, really? You want us to do this? You're passing the baton on to us? Didn't you hear Matthew when he said they gathered there and many worshiped and some doubted? Really? You're going to pass the baton on to the doubters? Yeah. Because if you're not doubting, you're not human. <laughs> If you're not wrestling with something, you're like, okay, the risen, resurrected Jesus is standing here before me. There's a lot that is happening right now that I don't fully understand. We can just acknowledge that. Yes, that is who Jesus called. A bunch of unqualified, probably seemingly unfit to follow him and to carry this on. Only with the reassuring message that I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's not possible without him. It's not possible without the Holy Spirit within us, guiding us and directing us. I'm going to invite the praise team to come at this time. Robert Snow, a scholar, he says, the resurrection and continual presence of the exalted Jesus Christ will empower the confused, the doubting, and the weak disciples to bring good news to all corners of the earth. It starts with recognizing that we can't do this on our own, that it's only through the power of Jesus who is, in, who is with us, who walks beside us. And so perhaps this morning when we're thinking about, okay, we recognize that this is a problem and, and maybe some of us are recognizing that we have failed 
to continue to do this as we've been called to do. So where do we begin? Where do we even start? Where do we begin? And I just want to say it begins with prayer. Just coming before the Lord, acknowledging, Lord, I have not always done what you have commissioned all of us to do. Would you help me? Would you give me a, a, a passion within to look around and see people that are struggling and they just need someone to walk beside them and point them to Jesus? I also think, church, that it begins with a moment of accountability this morning. I want you to ask yourself, who are you discipling? Who are you looking to disciple? And if you're not at the place where you feel like you can disciple someone, then who's discipling you? It's okay if you feel like I'm not ready for that yet. That's fine. But who's discipling you? Who's helping you get to that place so that you can then disciple someone and walk beside someone? Moment of accountability. Are you doing it or aren't you? Are we doing this as a church or aren't we? And if you find yourself ready to respond to this call today, I just want to encourage you to begin by praying for people in your life who might not yet know the hope that's in Christ. Pray for the people in your schools, in your workplaces, for some of us that's in our homes, in our neighborhoods. Pray for those that you engage with that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would be praying for them and that you would have an opportunity to share the hope and love of Jesus and then you would have an opportunity for discipleship, to walk alongside them and show them what it looks like to have the hope of Jesus and to follow him closely. Let me pray with us this morning. Lord, we recognize that this is, um, this is a hard word for some of us. Lord, we recognize that it's asking a lot for us to give up our, our precious time and effort to, to do the messy thing of walking with someone as they learn what it looks like to follow you. It is time-consuming. It's messy relational work is, is messy like, like this. And, and Lord, we recognize that maybe for those reasons or more, we just haven't been doing it. Maybe we've been kind of pushing that off to someone else and we've let them worry about making disciples. And yet every time I read this word, I am convicted that this is not a select message for a few, but this is the message for all, for all who follow Jesus and call themselves Christian. We are called to walk beside each other to work out this faith, to work out our salvation, as the Apostle Paul says. It's not a one-and-done thing. We have moments in life where we struggle with what it looks like to follow Jesus in this particular time, in this particular season, and we need other faithful followers to help us, to hold us accountable, to pray with us, to walk with us, to encourage us, so that we don't fall along the wayside. God, would you help us as we recognize the problem, as we see where, where we've kind of failed in a sense or, or at least dropped the ball and haven't done exactly what you've called us to do. Would you help us to have eyes to see that? And Lord, God, would you put within us a rekindled passion and desire 
not only as as individuals, but as a church, to see others discipling others. Ignite that within us, Lord. Help us as we seek to do the messy work. We know that you will be with us and that you will help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.